And let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we're here to remember uh, the birth of the King. And I pray that you'd speak to us today as we look at your words, that you'd challenge us and help us think carefully about what it means for our own hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever had an x-ray? Have you ever had an x-ray? Hands up if you've had an x-ray before. Anyone want to tell us why they had an x-ray? Broke my arm. Broke your arm. Oh, that sounds bad. Anyone else? Got any injuries? Any ha- Broken leg. Broken leg. Oh, dear. Yeah, yes. not good. Any other x-ray? Yeah, another broken leg. More broken legs. Two broken legs. <laughs> what did you? Dislocated finger. Dislocated finger. Yeah. Ooh. What was yours, Eric? A knee. A knee. Oh, yeah. I've had an X-ray on my knee actually. It was in Northern Ireland. We were on holiday, and something sort of popped out of place, and I had an X-ray. And the uh, the nurse or doctor, someone told me, I uh, it looked like the knee of someone much older. So I was like, oh, thanks for that. Well, that's lovely news, isn't it? But let's be honest, x-rays are quite amazing things, aren't they? Uh, just one of the amazing options that we have to be able to see inside of us and see what's wrong and see uh, what needs mending. And actually, if we're honest, they can be quite useful for presents too. Even before you open them, you can get an x-ray machine out if you somehow got access to one and find out what's in your presents. <laughs> well, as we look at the passage briefly uh, this morning, I want us to imagine we're going to use an x-ray machine to see what's going on in the hearts of the people in the story. And I know, I'm not a doctor, I know that hearts are particularly, don't show up particularly well on x-rays. I didn't know if there was another machine that does that. Pippa said there's something else, but I thought, let's go with an x-ray machine. That's a fairly safe bet. <laughs> uh, two weeks ago, we were in chapter one of Matthew, and Jonathan took us through the end of that, that chapter with Joseph uh, hearing from the angel, not sending Mary off, uh, and he, it's explained to him, this child will be the saviour. Matthew writes that, that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sins. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Just an amazing moment in history for all of these things, all of this to come to pass. But actually in Matthew's Gospel, you notice there's very little about the actual birth. In Luke, you've got all of the story about how they went to Bethlehem and all of these things. It's just one verse in in, uh, in Matthew. In verse 25, it just says, uh, he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. That's all we get. Actually, what we get in chapter 2 is uh, this focus on different people responding to news of Jesus' birth and how they respond. So we're going to look at these three responses and we're going to get the x-ray machine out and look into their hearts and see what's going on. Let's start with the wise men. We start with the wise men. They're called the Magi in the passage. The Magi come. And they weren't that they weren't kings. We often think no, they're the three kings. But it's a bit misleading because they weren't kings and there was probably more than likely more than three of them. So every picture you ever see, including the one that I couldn't find any with more than three, but I think three presents must think there's three three wise men. What they were, were Eastern astrologers. They looked to the stars for wisdom. They would have been really well-respected, highly educated people in their own society. So that's why wise men, I think, is a good, a good title for them. They were almost certainly not Jewish. They weren't part of God's people. They were Gentiles from the East. 
They were definitely not the people you'd expect to come and worship the king of the Jews. But it says they've seen a star, verse 2. We have seen his star, is what it says. And they travel, who knows how many hundreds of miles, to come and find this new king. I'm sure it was a long journey, full of anticipation, full of excitement. It's like they're, they're preparing to meet this new king. They turn up in Jerusalem. They think, well, that's probably the natural place, isn't it? You go to the capital. That's where the king's likely to be, isn't it? But they're directed on to Bethlehem, this small town outside of Jerusalem. And the star leads them there, stops over the place where Jesus is. It's amazing. And it's wonderful, isn't it? They've reached the house where, and they see Jesus. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph just, just opening the door? And you've got these, these uh, Eastern wise men at the door. And they're saying, well, what's going on? Are you, are you lost? Can we help you? Uh, what, what's going on? And they say, no, actually, we've come to worship your baby son. He is the, the, the long-expected king. It must have been astonishing. But that's what they do. They see this baby who is the king of kings. They kneel down. These wise Eastern Gentiles that would have had a lot of power, a lot of respect. They're on their knees in front of just a small child. Worshipping him in humility. And they give him the, these valuable gifts, the gold, frankincense and myrrh, gifts of great value. Sacrificial way of showing. They worship of him. You notice they don't give them to Mary and Joseph. They present the gifts to Jesus. And he was likely probably one to two years old at this point. If he was anything like uh, like Joy, they would have gone straight in his mouth. <laughs> so I, imagine, I can imagine Mary and Joseph taking them off Jesus quite quickly, putting them up higher. Uh, but we just see this wonderful moment of worship with, with this, this baby Jesus receiving this humble adoration from the, these wise men. And it shows us there's really this hope for everyone. Hope for people of all nations. So let's get the X-ray machine out, okay? What, what do we see? If we're going to look inside the hearts uh, of these wise men, what are we going to see? We're going to see humble worship. Humble worship. They've travelled all that way. They've given these valuable gifts, all to meet this insignificant-looking child. These important people in their own, co- own culture, bowing down in worship. It's not who you'd expect, but they're a great example of their humble worship for us. What about the chief priests? The chief priests are there in the story. And I think, actually, if there were people we would expect to go and worship the Messiah, you'd expect the chief priests to be those people. They're the ones, the the leaders of, of God's people. The ones who taught about the faith. They were waiting for the Messiah. And as the wise men show up in Jerusalem and they ask about the, the king of the Jews, and Herod asks them, well, where is this Messiah to be born? They know, they know immediately. The answer, they quote this verse from the book of Micah, Micah 5 verse 2, which says, uh, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. They know that the, 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 the baby, sorry, that the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem. But here's the thing. They don't go and see. They don't go themselves. Maybe they said, well, we'll wait for the wise men to come back. But surely, surely, if someone tells us that the Messiah is... Here, where, where is he? Surely if you're waiting for him with anticipation, you'd go and look. Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. They could have walked there in less than a day. They could have got quicker if they'd ridden, uh, ridden an animal. These wise men, they've travelled for weeks, maybe months. 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they, they, they don't even make the effort to go six miles to see Jesus. It's kind of like, I don't know, if, if, the, if the chief priests were here in Kenilworth, Jesus is, was born, I think it's around the uh, Levington Spa, Asda. So it's not that far. It's not that difficult to get to. Surely, you think, surely you'd go and check it out with me. You'd go and see for themselves. But they don't. And I think that suggests what's going on in their hearts. If we get the x-ray machine out again, we see they're just not interested. They're just not interested. They don't really want to seek out this saviour. You look and you read through the Gospels and you see actually they're quite happy to be kind of the important ones, to be proud of their position. They don't really understand what the Messiah had come to do. Ultimately, they're the ones who have him arrested, have him killed. And it's so ironic, isn't it? They quote this verse about Bethlehem, this small little town, this great ruler coming out. You see, it's like the small, humble things will, will shame the strong. And they quote the verse without realising that that's what's going to happen with Jesus. He comes in humility to change the world and to change the way that, that, that everyone would, would be worshipping God. They weren't interested. They were blind. They were proud. That's a challenge for us there too, I think. Lastly, what about King Herod? King Herod, he was already technically the king of the Jews. So no wonder he was really disturbed when these wise men turn up and say, well, where's the new king? Sounds like a threat. And he was already known for eliminating threats like that, even his own family members. You see, the city are disturbed. They know what he's like. They don't want him to be angry. He's sneaky. Verse 8, he says, oh, I want to go and worship this new king. Come, come and tell me when you find him, and I'll worship him. But we know that's not the case. We know that uh, God warns the wise men in a dream. They don't go back to him. And if you look at verse 16, you look at what happens later. He realises they're not coming back. He realises that God has kind of outsmarted him on this. And he's so angry, he's so paranoid about losing his power. In his anger, he kills all the boys, two years and under, in the Bethlehem area. It's awful, isn't it? We look in his heart, we see hatred. We see hatred. The complete opposite of worship. Evil hatred resulting in this horrifying murder. He wants to get rid of the Messiah. He wants to, he doesn't care really who suffers as a result. It's an awful thing. So there you go. We've got these three very different reactions, haven't we, to the birth of Jesus. I guess the question for us is if we turn the machine around on our hearts, what would we see? What would, what would be, what would we see in our own hearts? Would we see that actually we're not really interested? That actually, maybe if you're honest this morning, there are just more important things this Christmas. You prefer to be busy with work or friends and family or your new presents. And those things just feel more real, perhaps, than worshipping Jesus. Or maybe like the chief priests, there are elements of pride getting in the way in our hearts, thinking, I don't really need Jesus. Maybe you're just happy to kind of prove yourself and say, if I work hard, I'll do enough, I'll be okay. And actually, if we, even if we're following Jesus, we can fall into that trap of pride. It can stop us thinking we really need Jesus. Think we can do things on our own. We spend less time with him. We, we, we're less honest with him. We don't come to him when we need him. It can be really dangerous. It can be subtle. 
It's such a heart. Would it show hatred in your heart that you hate Jesus? Maybe the idea of someone being the, the king of your life, someone being in charge, actually just makes you really angry. Maybe you've rejected Jesus and you'd prefer it if Christians were just gone. It's deeper than just not being interested. It's kind of a real being set against Jesus. What he taught, what he did. Well, there's lots I think I could say if, if one of those two describes you. I think a, a big question you want to ask, if that is the case, is this. What is ruling your heart? Because I think there's always something. What is king of your, of your heart, of your life? If it's something other than Jesus, you need to ask yourself, does it really work? Is it really enough? Is this thing that drives me really enough? Where does it lead? God's word doesn't pull its punches. In fact, it says this in Hebrews chapter 9. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, pause there, that's the reality we all face. Judgment for our sins, for our rebellion, for our sin. It's serious. There are eternal consequences to having that kind of heart attitude to Jesus. So let me encourage you not to reject him, not to ignore him. And we see why, don't we, in this verse. Verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see what he's come to do? He come to save us. He has sacrificed his life to take away the sin that fills our own hearts. And he promises to come again to save his people. That's what Christmas points us to remember. This wonderful news of the gospel that that Jesus, God with us, came to save us, died in our place. He is our Lord, he is our King. So maybe our hearts instead should be filled with humble worship. Is that what our hearts would show? Humble worship. That's the way we should respond, isn't it? To the news of Jesus being born for us. The wise men are the example we want to follow in this passage. They're the ones who worship Jesus on their knees. The basis of our worship should be that. Coming on our knees in gratitude. Saying thank you like we did in our prayer time. Gratitude to Jesus. He took our pain, our sin, our sorrow away and he paid it all on the cross. That's that love, that, that love that he's shown us, that's what should drive us this Christmas. And if we accept we can't do it on our own, we cannot save ourselves, it humbles us and it actually says, look, let's turn to Jesus. We need Jesus, we need his love, we need his forgiveness. Are we going to worship him in response? There's, there's a carol, I don't think we sung it this year actually, <clears throat> the carol in the bleak midwinter. It does sound a bit bleak at the start, doesn't it? But the, the final verse says this. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. That's what we're called to do in response. Live lives of worship. Give our hearts to Jesus. Get rid of anything that that might get in the way of putting him first. If we consider the cost that he's paid in our place, there's no greater sacrifice than that. There's nothing we can, you know, any sacrifice we make, Uh, is a a right and good response to that. Consider what he's done for you, how he left his father, how he was born as a man, how how he suffered and died in your place. It's the best gift we can ever receive. So we follow in his footsteps. We we, we seek to, to love him and love others for ourselves. We sacrifice our old life because of the joy of following Jesus. 
And we do that in thankfulness. We don't do that because we have to or because we need to earn our salvation. We do it because Jesus has done it all already. Will we give him our heart this Christmas? So I just encourage you really to not lose sight of that today. It's good, isn't it, to come together in the morning and remember that before we maybe go and and celebrate with with feasting and and presents and, and fun. But we can find time to celebrate and rejoice in humble worship of our Saviour and King. That's what we're called to do first and foremost. And if you're not interested, or if you if you actually you hate Jesus, let me encourage you to look at the love of Him, love of Christ. Explore that. That's the wisest thing you could do today. Find out about His love for you. Turn to Him. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for for how you sent Jesus. What an amazing gift! And would you help us to respond? In humble worship, would you help us to see our sin and, and how it's been forgiven, how we are saved and freed by Jesus. Help us be filled with joy and thankfulness at all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.